Okay, I'm with Adam Kelly Morton. Uh, Vike is the is the the TV pilot screenplay winner of the Sci-Fi Fantasy Film Festival. Really interesting pilot, kind of a good setup for a nice little uh, adventure series. Uh, get just what everybody wants. So, Adam, you're 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 an acting teacher. You've done some directing as well. Like you're pretty, you're you're based in Montreal. You're pretty uh, Renaissance man in the industry. So, what motivated you to write this? screenplay called Vike and when did you come up with the idea for it? So I finished my, I did a master's in creative writing um, remotely during the pandemic. I did it out of Teesside University in oh, the wow, UK. Okay. And, and in the time that I was doing my master's, it really occurred to me, I mean, something that they, they always drill into you. If you want to write, you've got to read, you've got to read, you've got to write, you've got to write, you've got to read. And, I'm, and I'd been writing prose for quite some time short stories. And also during the pandemic, I published a collection of short stories and a novella called Harmony Street. Um, and I guess it occurred to me that I don't read as much as I should. I really don't. I'm not like my wife is a passionate reader. She she's always reading new books. She's interested in that. Um, and I'm just, I'm not so much, I hate to say it, but it's the truth. I'm, I, I don't take in a lot of, I don't read a ton of books. I'm not really on top of what's going on in the writing and publishing world. Um, and same thing for film, even though I've made uh, several short films and a couple of features, I'm, it's not, it's not something I'm passionate about. I, I, I'm, I'm ashamed to say the last movie I saw in the cinema was The Descendants, and that was that George Clooney movie That's in like Hawaii. That's like 2012, 2011. I know, it's embarrassing. It's like a decade or whatever since yeah. I've been to the movies. I've seen movies since then, like watching them, you know, um, at home and that sort of thing. But I don't have that passion for film, but I do have the passion for TV. And I always have. Ever since I was a kid, my mom introduced me and and sort of indoctrinated me into British television. I love British TV and I and uh, other kinds of TV, like American too. Um, so I've, I've taken in a lot of these shows over the years and I continue to do that. I just love, um, you know, all of the British mystery shows and that sort of thing. And I'm also, I happen to be a big fan of Dungeons and Dragons. So mm -hmm. I've been playing that for over 30 years. And I got the idea of creating a show that sort of brings these two worlds together. I'd never seen anything like a fantasy set procedural. Yeah. And I really love, I really love both things and I love world creating. So that's what made me decide to start writing Vike and, and Vike really like took off. Um, it was a very quick, it was a very quick, um, relatively speaking, a very quick project to, to get the the pilot down and many many drafts and and even the the bible it all it all came pretty quickly yeah you, uh, it's it's interesting because it's like it has that procedural name like the one syllable like bike it's like that's a procedural <laughs> that's a that's a, it's either it's acronym for something or it's like one straight syllable that's a procedural drama yeah it's for sure i'm inspired by you know one of my favorite procedural dramas is a show called vera starring uh, brenda blevin and okay that's you know, the yeah, uk same yeah. four letters starting with a v very influential on bike for yeah sure. that's so interesting okay so in your pilot i'm curious because your pilot 
kind of breaks the rules a little bit in terms of no your presentation of the pilot because you're told when you're submitting the festivals don't just leave make it black and white just leave your leave just leave the the to send the pilot and the title page and then don't do any descriptions don't do any visuals but you kind of like tease the audience because you have a 13 page like beautiful kind of like uh like season one arc and you got visuals and you got actors and you got pictures and you got all descriptions of all the performers so you kind of like you're told not to do that but you did it which which was fine for us <laughs> maybe not for other festivals i don't know other screenplay contests but you yeah. kind of like this is a very extensive um bible of, of that you have already so you're like ready to go with this with this series i guess right like i know you're in canada i don't know what i'm you're a pretty seasoned guy so i don't know what 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 uh, avenues you can go through, but it's a pretty solid pilot. You got amazing bi uh, Bible, so you're you're you know where this this series is going, I guess, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 not under any delusions that it's going to get instantly picked up by a production company and and put up there. I understand that that's not really how it works. I mean, it can happen, but my, for me, that it's sort of a secondary consideration. I just wanted to go through the motions of what needs to be done to put a television show together and then put it out there into the world and now that i'm done with that i'm not writing the the other 10 episodes right away i've moved on to my next show and gotcha. so I'm, i've written that um you know i i understand the concept of the calling card that you're you're putting your stuff out there so that people can see what you can do and I mean, let's face it, I'm turning 50 next year. I'm, I, I've heard speaking to a producer friend and speaking to lots of people about how the industry is young. It's a very young industry if you want to get into it. Mm. And I'm not young. And that's just the way it is. So I'm going to put the stuff out there as I would like to see it and see what happens mm -hmm. with that. So it seems like a big, a big learning experience for you, like the way you describe it. It's like you're, you, you like, you don't go halfway with this pilot. Like you're gonna, you did the, did the, the original pilot. You did the whole Bible. You did all the visuals of everything, and then, and then you, you're moving on. But then, of course, if anybody wants to see it, you got material to show them. I guess, right? Exactly. Yeah. And the new show is gonna be the same, sort of, um, not the same. It's a totally different show, but I'm planning to do the same thing with it where, so I finished a draft of the pilot. I'm, my designer is now working on the, putting together the images that I have in mind for, for the show, the visuals, we'll put that together in a Bible and I'm going to put that out into the world as well. And when that's done, I've already got the idea for the next show too. And I'm just going to keep cranking them out until something gives and if it doesn't give then i'm i'm doing what i love to do which is to write television shows it really feels like it's it's what i should be writing you said you're not a young man but you all but you're in the written blog you said you have a you have a four-year-old a five-year-old a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old yeah that that's going to keep you busy i have two kids and i can barely handle it so i have <laughs> four kids yeah it's pretty crazy um and uh, my wife works, uh, she's a healthcare worker, uh, she's a nurse. So she's through the pandemic. She was very busy. It was a very challenging 16 weeks of lockdown when that happened because yeah. I was home with the four kids the whole time. Had to sort of create a daycare. 
That's and a movie right there. That's a TV, TV series right there. You know, it's funny you should say that because I actually, like, over the course of the pandemic, I also was, I'd been doing it for some years before, but I'd been posting online on social media under the alias Shit Dad and sort of the adventures of Shit Dad and everything that he goes through in the pandemic. And I was actually, that may be a plan for another time is to put out Shit Dad the show. It's something that I was working on for a while. Um, I actually my agent re recommended that I book the rights to the name shit yeah, dad. Should, so yeah. I actually, I own shit dad. So you own the copyright <laughs> ever, of shit dad. Yeah. If ever I want to do something with it, it's there for me, but uh, yeah. But the, yeah. I mean, I'm assuming it's got a double meaning to it. Like, like you're, there's shit doing diapers. I guess they're hopefully they're, I don't know, hopefully, but I'm assuming they're probably trained. The youngest is four now, but then you're like, you have to handle shit like in many different variables, but then you you could also be a shit dad as well, I guess. Right. Yeah. You got it. That's, that's the, <laughs> that's the, you know, you're a dad, you get it. Yeah. It's about li literal and figurative shit. Yeah. You're trying your best. I'm assuming. I'm, like, yeah. I'm assuming. Well, that's it. Right. And you fuck up along the way you, you make mistakes and that's part of being a good parent is that you're not perfect. You just, you know, you do the best you can and you're present and it's, that's how it works. If they, if they get along, half your job is done if the if like if the kids get along yeah and that's one advantage of having four actually i know it sounds like a million yeah. like i have a million kids but you know they play with each other and that takes a bit of the pressure off and you know when when i've i've got this idea of sort of my 90 degree perspective if if i'm sitting somewhere it could be a park or a parking lot or in the house or whatever and I can see them within that 90 degree, you know, field of view. Yeah. I'm pretty, I'm pretty relaxed. It's like they're there. It's when I lose sight of them. Yeah. That things There's, start to go a bit haywire. You know, Paul Thomas, obviously, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson, right? Mm -hmm. I love, Andrew. love PT Anderson. Yeah. So he has four kids as well, right? Oh, amazing. With Maya Rudolph. So basically he describes that he describes his four kids where it's like, it's like a, you go into your room and it's a beautiful, like nicely, nicely formed fire, right? It's like nice and warm, cuddly. You can get relaxed in there, but it's also a fire in the room. So it's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it could get a little chaotic. So you got to maintain the fire, but it's still warm and fuzzy until it can get out, it can get out of hand and it can blow up, I guess, right? Yeah. I that's the way it. he describes this for, that's the way he describes raising four kids. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. yeah. That, <laughs> so, okay. So then, yeah, then you have to write. So how do you, man, do you have like a routine with writing this script or other scripts? Like do you do it when they all go to bed or do you do it in the morning before they wake up? Like, would you have a certain routine? So when the kids, I do most of my writing when the kids are at school or at daycare, okay. that's when I get stuff done. So either I'll work here in my living room or I'll go to a cafe and I'll work there and, you know, I can bash out a good amount of stuff. Um, on my own. I'm not like a Stephen King wake up at six in the morning writing from seven to 11 and then an hour for lunch and then, you know, uh, writing again from one to five kind of thing. I don't I don't do that. Um, it's it's more sporadic than that. I think he's but, the only one, too. I don't think that anybody else. Well, does. there's people I mean, I've read in all my various craft books over the years, prose craft books about how disciplined you need to be and all that kind of stuff. And um um, I forget the name of the book, but basically chasing away lethargy and um, yeah. resistance and all that. It's like I, I get things done by just doing them. Like I do them repeatedly 
I'm in the habit of working and I love to work. It keeps me sane, but I don't, I'm not by, I don't go by the clock or anything like that, Yeah. but I don't wait for the muse either because you have to sort of write through that, you know, you have to keep, keep moving forward one way or another. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's that balance, I guess. Right. Yeah. You find the time to be able to do it. And when you do find the time you make it, you know, and I don't really, I don't take time off from writing per se. Like there isn't like a season or a week or anything like that. I'm, I'm sort of always doing it, but I also don't do it for these, you know, it's not shift work for me. For me, it's more just a regular thing that I do pretty much every day. So you're, you're an actor of I trade, you got a pretty extensive acting resume. So in your, in your, in your, uh, even your poster, you have certain actors in mind, I guess to play these roles, but not yourself. You don't want to play, you don't want to be in, in the film. Or no, 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 I'm not. No, I don't want to be in my own stuff. My, my goal is to approach this from the perspective of a writer and make sure that the creative vi- vision of what I'm going for is, is going to make it there because I understand also how it works. Having worked in film, how, how it can not get translated, like how the original ideas can not make it into the final product. So I'd want to be, um, I'd want to at least see it to, to, to get it to a certain place. Um, but then being in it is just, it's just an added layer of, of complication. And, and like, I don't have huge aspirations in terms of acting. I love acting and it's great and everything, but in terms of creatively what I've been doing, um, I don't even consider myself an actor. You said I was an actor by trade. I don't yeah. consider myself an actor by trade. I consider myself a teacher by trade because that's how I make a living. I make a living okay. off of teaching. Um, but acting is something that I have to continue to do in some capacity. Um, writing has been very much more my source of creative output for the last 10 years. Um, gotcha. It's really, it's really what I'm, I've been much more focused on and, and for me, the ceiling of uh, how much I can improve as a writer is way, feels way higher than with acting. Um, not that I think I'm a brilliant actor or anything like that, but I, actually it's, it's the opposite. I know what my limitations are as an actor. Um, whereas with writing, I really feel like there's a lot of stuff, especially for television, I feel like there's a lot of stuff I can do and that I've, I've yet to do. So. Gotcha. Well, congratulations on Bike. It's a really great uh, pilot, and uh, it seems like, you're, like I'm. Hopefully, it serves you well as much as you possibly can. It won our contest. I'm assuming it's going to win other contests as well. And keep going, I guess. And like, and uh, and congrats to having four kids. It's like that's accomplishment in itself. So cheers, cheers. Thanks a lot, Matt. This was awesome. And and this is my first ever interview as a t- TV writer. So this is really special for me. So thank you. Vike, Season 1, Episode 1, Damon. Interior Catacomb Chamber, Night. Fade In, Music, Early Sketches from Midgard by Bo Hansen. Stone Walls Lit by Torchlight, A Tied-Up Victim, 30s, Swarthy, Screams as he is being tortured. His blood is being used to paint the interior of the crypt. The torturer is unseen, but for his naked muscular body seen from behind. He's using a brush, always with the left hand, to paint the walls, dabbing the bristles on the exposed flesh of the victim. 
but what is being painted is yet unseen. In close-up, the torturer sticks a thick, chipped knife into the heart of his victim, whose face twitches and relaxes at death. The killer, Derek Claysball, 20s, Caucasian, long blonde hair, paints one last time on the wall, something in detail. Finally, his face is revealed, perhaps human, but covered in streaks of dark red blood. Looking over his work, he smiles a pained smile. Exterior, Teth City slums, day. In the busy, smoke-filled streets of Teth, a dark medieval fantasy city, the point of view of someone walking through masses of people going about their daily activities, replete with horse-drawn carts, market stands, shouting, selling, etc. There is a strange quality to the smoke billowing through the streets that makes it seem almost unnatural. It is, in fact, the natural mists from the nearby Grimson Mire, which are always present over the lower parts of the city. As the unseen pedestrian moves past, people stare and respectfully move aside, or, in the case of some men, catcall or make comments. Hello, love. Cor, what have we here? The person striding through this urban chaos is revealed to be Captain Samra Hart, 30s, non-binary, presents more female, dressed in the black leather armor of the Teth City Constabulary, with a sword and a dagger on their belt. They walk with purpose until they reach a stone building in an alley. They look around a bit, as there's no sign or indication, then bang on the wooden door, and in a few moments, a wooden spy hole slides open, revealing the face of the proprietor, female, 60s. Teth City Constabulary, open the door. We're all up to date on our tithers, lady. I'm not a lady. I'm Captain. Samra strides in. The proprietor hobbles behind them. Interior, Papaver House, day. An opium den lit by candlelight. Drugged men and women sleeping on raised bunks or on the floor. Some smoking from various pipes, some in a trance. One salivating in open-mouthed oblivion with a pipe beside him. A hovel for the damned. Coughing, snoring, the tinkling of strange chimes. Samra searches through the den with no one paying them much mind. A stark contrast to the outside world. Eventually, they reach a bunk where a large sleeping figure is turned away from them. On a nearby table, they notice the Chateau Papaver paraphernalia. Pipe, candle, small pouch of goods, wooden cup for water. The prostrate figure is Vicanicius, Vike, Vermetten, fifties, slovenly, surly. Samra shakes him by the shoulder. He's not responding. The proprietor and Samra exchange a look. Vike. 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 Vicanicius, sir. Fuck off. You're ruining my dreams. Vike, it's me. Baron Reles has sent me for you. Ugh. There's been a killing. We're to head there straight away. A pause. Then Vike flips over, although still clearly under the influence of the drug. A childlike excitement. Exterior catacomb day. Surrounded by trees, the steel door of a catacomb is pulled open by terrified laborers who step aside with reverence as the large figure of Vike passes between them, followed by Samra, who is much more fit by comparison. Both are carrying lanterns. As they pass, the name Rathbone, in faded black lettering, is revealed on the headstone as the family entombed within. Interior catacomb tunnel, day. The figures walk down the hall, lanterns above them, 
their POV as they move deeper into the catacombs, following a trail of blood, rough footprints heading out of the tunnel. They reach a metal door and Samra opens it. There's a gust of wind and both lanterns go out. For a moment, nearly the only light comes from Vike's burning reed cigarette, with only a trickle of light coming from the entrance to the catacombs. Vike steps into the chamber with Samra behind. Interior Catacomb Chamber, Day Samra relights a lantern and hands it to Vike, still smoking his reed. He is revealed up close, with floppy hat and awkward clothes, a medieval Ignatius Riley. While Samra is aghast at what they see, Vike shows revulsion and world weariness. The walls of the chamber are revealed to be covered in blood. There is the tortured corpse of the victim, strapped to a stone slab. Then, on one section of the wall, in blood letters, Gothic stylized, the word Privulex. Baranak. Sorry? What does that mean? Oh, it's from the demonic. Roughly, it means bloody hell. 